Thanks, Paul. Well read. It's always good to have Paul reading Paul's words. So, thank you, Paul. (laughs) The Apostle Paul, in contrast to our Paul, uh, was one of the earliest writers on the experience of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And Paul encountered Christ as someone who really set him free. And uh, there's a number of things that represent what Paul was set free from and some of them get a mention in this letter to the Colossians. And I just want to focus on those elements this morning. There's always so much we can say from any little passage of scripture. But uh, there's three things that I think Paul is really glad that Christ set him free from. And the first one is the uh, philosophy of empty deception. Philosophy was quite a big thing in the time of Paul. It's become a bigger thing since, I think, because more philosophies abound and there's no shortage of uh, people with ideas and so forth. And we can't help but structure our thoughts. As human beings, we like meaning. We like to understand things. We like to put things together in a structure that makes sense for us. This is not a bad thing, it's just a thing. For millennia, philosophers have uh, had a central focus on doing that. You might remember names like Plato and Aristotle and um, there'd be other philosophers. There's uh, more recent ones, uh, people like Nietzsche and Kierkegaard. I don't know, you may not read philosophy very much. Putting together ideas to try and understand the world, not a bad thing, but sometimes these structured thoughts operate in a way that kind of protect us from the world we're living in. We we put together a structure of ideas so that we can feel a bit safer in our world. Now, if you've got a a structured set of ideas and you encounter someone who's got a different structured set of ideas and you're happy to have a conversation with them and learn new things, that's that's quite an interesting conversation. You can sit down and chat about stuff. Oh, yeah, I've never thought about that before. That's interesting. And, yeah, that's a good way of seeing that. Or, no, I think that's rubbish because of these reasons. Whatever it might be. And that can be quite an open and enjoyable conversation. You can learn some things together. Sometimes you sit down with somebody and you just feel they're really putting pressure on you. They really need you to adopt their way of seeing. In a way, they feel like there's an insecurity there or a fear there and they would feel much better if you thought just like they think. Have you had that experience? And yeah, yes, we've all had that experience, haven't we? These conversations tend to be more one way. Someone's really trying to push us into believing in a particular way and squeeze us into their worldview because if you don't think the same as them, you're a threat to them. And that's a very unfortunate situation to be in. These people, I think, are more prone to being held captive by the philosophical philosophical structures, the empty thoughts and so forth. They've made something that is a structure that they've created or come across 
as if it were absolute, as if everybody should agree with it, but actually it's an expression of their own insecurity, that they only feel safe if people agree with them. Uh, I was um, aware recently, I think some of you might have picked up Sonia Kruger's comments on TV when she spoke about feeling scared and uh, she attached an idea to her fears and there was a bit of an outcry of, of racism and that kind of thing. We understand fear, don't we? We understand that life can be dangerous and all sorts of stuff goes on that's outside of our control and we'd like to feel safe. But when we use these sorts of things as if they change reality, then it's an empty deception, I think. Because the thing is, it's not the ideas that hold us captive. It's not the ideas that are the threat, it's the fear. It's actually the fear that is the problem. It's, the, not, it's not the fear, it's not the thing, it's the fear of the thing that is what holds you captive. And uh, what's a good way to overcome fear, do you think? Some people would say courage. I think love. I think love is the one thing that really overcomes fear. Um, John writes in his first letter that he's suggesting that love is the antidote to fear. And in some respects, our attachment to other people is the thing that gets us past our fear. You might fear all those kinds of people. They could be this religion, they could be that sexual orientation, they might be that politics or whatever else it might be. And you might fear them. But if you get to know somebody, if you actually get to know and like someone and feel safe with them, if they happen to be of that religion or that orientation or that politics, suddenly it breaks down the fear. Because the fear is kind of this amorphous thing. It resides in your own heart. It's not the other that you fear. It's just fear. And when we find attachment, <coughs> I think that breaks down fear. Love overcomes fear. So Paul would say, don't be held back in your walk with Christ by these oppressive philosophical structures, these empty ideas that actually aren't meaningful. They just become problematic. He also talks about these things that are the elementary principles of the world. Have you got any of those elementary principles of the world? I understand this phrase to mean our most instinctual appetites. Those things that are kind of base level human activities like our appetite for food or for sex or for shelter. You know, we need certain things and they drive us in certain ways at times and sometimes they drive us in such a way that it feels like we are helpless in the face of that drive. And um, everybody struggles with different things in this regard and some people struggle more and some struggle less, uh, whether it's food or sex or sleep. Um, these things are all legitimate appetites but they can sometimes have such a power that we become obedient to their call. They are driving us rather than we are responding or driving to them. We eat when we are not hungry. We have sex with people we don't love. We sleep when we're not tired. 
almost as if there's no choice at some times. Paul would say that this is where the death-resurrection thing is really important. We have been buried with Christ and we are raised with Christ, so in a sense we have this capacity to die to our most basic drives if we want to. See, we always do have choice. Sometimes we feel like we have no choice, but we do always have choice. One choice might feel like it would be like dying, but that doesn't make it any less a choice. And Paul would say sometimes the choice to die is the choice for life, for freedom, in one sense. I'm not talking about killing other people, I'm talking about dying to these base drives. All right. <laughs> See, the intriguing thing about not obeying an appetite that seems so powerful in your life at the time is that when you don't obey it, the appetite further reveals itself. Because if you really want to eat something, but in fact you're not actually hungry, and then you don't respond to that appetite and you don't eat, you become aware of something else. The thing that was being masked by the desire to eat. That is a little bit deep, and um, some of our counsellor type people might correct me on this one, I'm still amateur. But my own experience is when I feel that drive and I decide not to respond to it, I can become aware of a different drive that's underneath that the initial drive was actually seeking to mask. It becomes an escape in a sense. I don't want to feel these feelings, I don't want to do, do business with this thing so I'll go and eat. Or some, for some people it might be to do with going to work or having sex or taking drugs, drinking alcohol. There's all sorts of things that we can do as a quasi-escape. And there's this promise almost of satisfaction. If you can get away from the thing that you want to get away from, it will be okay. But of course, it's so fleeting. It promises so much. But you've got to keep doing it because there's still a a basic thing that stays unresolved and so it will happen again and again and again and again because you're not resolving the most basic thing that's going on there. And in this case, it's a deception I think, that holds us captive. It's such a powerful thing because um, it's a masking of what's really going on. We feel like we need to eat and we don't see the thing that's really going on. We feel we need to go out and find someone to have sex with or take some drugs or whatever it might be because we don't want to see the thing that's going on. And so we can't attend to it and it continues to drive us That's the deception because it doesn't satisfy. Things are being mislabeled. If you eat, you'll be satisfied. If you go and do that, you'll be satisfied. No, no, no. And it doesn't happen. There's a fleeting taste, a little bit like gambling. Gambling is another form of it in a sense, um, where you have a moment of escape, a moment of hope of satisfaction, a moment of feeling the euphoria of, and then it all dissipates and goes away again and doesn't deliver what you'd hoped. So there's a deception going on there. And Paul would say that we can die to that. And it is like death sometimes. To feel those things that we are so desirous of escaping from. That we have such well set up strategies for avoiding. That make us 
feel slightly happier or something like that and we can make the choice to die and uh, discover a greater freedom in that process. Now that might sound all too simple and it probably is an oversimplification and many times we need support and help in that process but that's the structure of it I think. And then this other thing is the, the authority and power structures of the world. Paul says that um, we can be held captive by these power and authority structures in the world. Have you ever noticed that the way the world understands power is as force or coercion? If we consider how the world uses power for a moment, everything from the justice system to law enforcement to education to politics to the financial markets, there's this sense of force or coercion that is at work. I mean, it's so much part of the way we do life on earth that we just really don't believe there's any other way. We have to use this force to keep things uh, running well and in check and so forth. There's a fascinating dynamic happening over in the, the USA at the moment in their political process and I don't know if you caught any of the uh, Republican Congress and the speech of Donald Trump and um, this amazing sense uh, of force that this man is going to bring on this country and he's going to sort everything out whether everything wants to be sorted out or not in that sense and uh, you know my, my uh, German antecedents grew up in uh, 1930s Germany and I can just see so many parallels of painting a picture that needs a, a strong armed sa- saviour to come in and use the force required to sort it out. And this is the way we too often understand power in the world. But power structures have also been exposed in our world. These days it's more easily, uh, it's more possible to see the raw force that's at work than it ever used to be uh, in the past, I think. Whether it's the courts or the police or politicians or even financial markets, uh, they used to have this mystique about them. They were the structures that held our world together in a wonderful way that made it safe and we could predict the future much more and all this kind of stuff. They were the guardians of the proper world But now we don't just assume that they're doing the right thing. Whether it's uh, inquiries into the way the the legal system's functioning, we kind of know now that the illegal outcomes you get are approximately equivalent to the money you've got to pay for a very good barrister. We kind of know that, don't we? If you want to get a good outcome from the legal system, you pay a lot of money, get a very clever barrister and you'll get a good outcome for yourself. And there's passages in the Old Testament that just decry a legal system that depends on how much money you've got. That's not justice. That's power and coercion over. Police forces and politicians, we know there's anti-corruption inquiries, or corruption inquiries, whatever you call them, that go on all the time and we know these systems are not perfect. And uh, I think these days nobody assumes anybody's doing the right thing all the time. The power has been revealed as there's not the mystique about it there once was. 
Um, it was Lord Acton, I think, who said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Once upon a time we thought power was good. It was good by virtue of the fact that it was power. And now we're not so blind to that. I think um, you have to have one eye firmly closed to believe that these days. And yet, we will still invest ourselves in these power structures. We will still find our security in the structures of the world's forms of power. In a sense, partly because we don't know what else to do. That's the way it works. You want to get in the mortgage game, you pay the, play the mortgage game. You, know, you, you want to have a say in politics, you play the political game. If you want to get a good outcome, you pay the money for the good outcome, whatever it might be. I was actually I was stunned in one of those Trump rallies. I'm a bit fixated on the whole Trump phenomenon, I have to admit. It's, it's like watching a train wreck in slow motion, only somehow something weird's happening. There were, there were minority groups that Trump had really slandered through his campaign, holding up signs saying, you know, Latinos for Trump, and this kind of thing. It's like, do you, do you know what this guy has said about you guys? You know, but, but we do, we buy into the structure and I fully understand why they would do this. Do you want to get on the bus or do you want to be run over by the bus? That kind of feels like what the, tr- the choice is. Do you, do you stand in front of the bus and get flattened or you go, oh well that's the bus, I'll get on it. And you can hear people kind of going, oh well, this is the bus that's got this unstoppable force and I'll just have to get on it. And I think we do that in all sorts of small ways all the time when we think, oh, well, that's the way the system works. I haven't got a choice. It's get on it or get flattened by it. The really challenging thing here, of course, is that Jesus didn't get on the bus. And we know that unequivocally because he got flattened by it. And then he got up again and said, this is the way of eternity. It threatens every structure, every sense of the way things work. It throws all the balls up in the air, in a sense. And you can feel the mild panic inside. Then how does it work? Because we're so accustomed to the use of force. And we're so unaware of the power of love. We get glimpses of it at key moments down through history. But interestingly, each person who displays it tends to get flattened by the bus as well. And yet we know it's true. Martin Luther King Jr. And even Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, There's a, a range of people you could throw up there. People that responded in gentleness, non violent love. And we know the truth of it. It sets people free everywhere. And then they get flattened by the bus. But it doesn't stop setting people free. That's the challenge of the Gospel. We can be held captive by the ways of the world or we can be free from them by identifying with the most vulnerable. So, 
we can embrace fear and move beyond it and not be held captive by the structures of empty philosophy and that kind of stuff. We can disobey our appetites and feel the sense of death that comes with that and a deeper sense of freedom that can issue from it. We can be vulnerable with the vulnerable and live beyond the existing power structures if we want to. There is a cost involved in moving outside the dominant ideology or not slavishly obeying our instinctual appetites or identifying with the vulnerable. There is a cost involved. But there is also the deepest, truest freedom in life to be found there. And Paul would say, walk in that freedom. Follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's a a deeply troubling and liberating truth, reality that you invite us into. Help us to see you more clearly and follow you more nearly, love you more dearly, each day, to the glory of your name. Amen. Let's sing our response. The power of your love. Amen.